Welcome to the Wellness and Wanderlust podcast. We're here to demystify wellness and help you add a little adventure to your life. Tune in for a new episode every week where we'll hear from incredible guests and talk about ways to be happier and healthier in our new normal. I'm your host, Valerie Moses. Let's get started. Hey everyone, this is your host, Valerie Moses, back with another inspiring guest to help you create your best lives. It's such a joy to have you with me here today, and I want to thank you all for being part of the Wellness and Wanderlust community. Whether you're tuning in for the very first time and you're brand new to the show, or you've been listening since the very beginning, I'm truly grateful for each and every one of you. Now, our guest for today's episode is Kiki Athanis, also known as the No More Thinking About Food Girl. After more than a decade in the nutrition industry, including founding a successful natural supplements company, Kiki has quit wellness and instead helps women to optimize their health by connecting to their body's intuition and tuning into their hunger cues. We talk about the starve binge cycle and how we can empower ourselves by truly understanding what our hunger feels like. Kiki shares techniques for recognizing fullness versus satiety, what intuitive eating really looks like, how to incorporate mindfulness into our eating patterns, and how to honor and respect the boundaries of our bodies. It's a powerful conversation and something that I wish that they had taught us in school. So if you've ever struggled with overeating, undereating, or both, this episode is for you. Our sponsor for today's episode has a product I use literally every day. I started taking AG1 because my doctor recommended I start incorporating greens into my morning routine. And I wanted to cut back on some of the many vitamins I take with breakfast. I work in community engagement and PR, so I'm on the go quite a bit and time is a luxury. With one scoop of AG1, you're absorbing 75 high quality vitamins, minerals, whole food sourced ingredients, probiotics, and adaptogens to help you start your day right. I take AG1 every morning before breakfast and it's great for digestion and gut health, energy, and immune health. AG1 is lifestyle friendly, whether you eat keto, paleo, vegan, dairy-free, or gluten-free, and contains less than one gram of sugar, no GMOs, and no nasty chemicals. AG1 has high quality ingredients that your body will actually absorb, and it's a great way to take care of yourself with a busy lifestyle. To make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com wanderlust. Again, that is athleticgreens.com slash wanderlust to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. All right, friends, now on to today's show. Hi, Kiki. Thank you so much for joining us at Wellness and Wanderlust today. Hi, Valerie. Thank you so much for having me on the show. I'm excited to chat with you. Well, I'm so excited to have you on. You focus on a topic that a lot of us struggle with and something that I am especially excited to really dive into today. But before we do that, why don't you first tell our listeners just a little bit about you? Yeah, sure. So my name is Kiki, and right now I I help women struggling with the starve binge cycle, with sometimes what I call diet swinging or food bipolarism. It's something that I struggled with myself for over a decade um, of living in deprivation and on and off diets and working in the wellness world for over a decade, actually, it really brought me to kind of a toxic place in the wellness world that I eventually had to find my my way out of so that I could refine myself and my own path and, and really normalize my eating again. And so now I essentially traveled the world as a digital nomad, helping women with the same struggle that I had and helping them get back to food freedom and, and really realigning their lives. Well, I think that's fantastic. I First of all, I'm very jealous of the digital nomad life. We have an episode <laughs> airing all about being a digital nomad, and I'm sure I'll have questions for you about that as well and how that ties in. But I think that toxicity in the wellness world, that's something that a lot of us have struggled with. I grew up in the early 2000s and in the 90s where there was the fat-free craze, and then there was every single diet on television and trying out different things after college. And I think so many of us have done that yo-yo dieting and that that cycle. And so yeah. I think that that's something that food freedom is something that so many of us are striving for. Talk to me about what led to quitting wellness mm-hmm. and 
you know, yeah. when when you found those discoveries for yourself? Yeah, well, I think for for many of us, and I know for many of my clients, we step into wellness from this place of oh my goodness, it's feeling better, and I'm eating better, and I'm I'm liking my body more, and all of this is so great. And I know for myself, during puberty, I, I gained a little bit of weight, and I didn't feel awesome about myself, and I started exercising, and I started um, sort of watching what I was eating, and. I turned that around and I started getting so many compliments and I just felt like, wow, like I'm so confident and life is so great and I'm so healthy. And so I dived into the wellness world. I thought, okay, this is my line of work. I'm going to teach people how to be healthier. I worked with health and wellness tech startups. I I had various media roles because I always loved sharing with others and I always loved presenting. And so I did recipe development for, for different brands and uh, was, you know, on like breakfast television, talking about smoothie bowls, the whole shebang. And um, eventually I realized that, wait a second, I literally cannot stop thinking about food all of the time. All I do is think about eating or thinking about not eating. And I got so consumed with what I could eat, what I couldn't eat, when I could eat, when I couldn't eat. And it eventually got to a place where I wasn't even enjoying my life anymore and I didn't even know who I was anymore beyond just frantically obsessing about my weight and food. And that honestly went on for years and I didn't even, even though I didn't like it, I didn't want to give up being slim and being healthy. And so there were people that reached out. I did go to therapy and I remember trying these different kind of mindful eating programs and coaches. But deep down, I was like, "Mm, I want to be skinny, though. And I want to be healthy. And these people are not going to help me you know, they might help me free myself from my my never ending thoughts, but I might gain weight or I might not be healthy anymore. And I don't want to give that up. So um, I essentially suffered with it for years until I started binging and I started binge eating. And um, I remember a therapist talking to me and she was like, Kiki, if you keep up this deprivation, you're eventually going to start binge eating. And I looked at her like she was the craziest woman in the world. I was like, this woman just clearly does not know how much I want to be thin and healthy. So whatever, she's clearly wrong. But alas, it happened. I would go to the events, I would be perfect, be the perfect eater. And then I would head home and eat a whole jar of almond butter or, you know, a whole pound of a sourdough bread loaf, right? And I would just feel so disgusting with myself. And so the next day I would, you know, do my intermittent fasting, I would drink my celery juice, I would go to my workout, and I would just be like, Kate, no, like back on the back on track, right? Um, And that would last for however many days or weeks until the next binge episode occurred. And that eventually led to me gaining weight, I had what felt like irreversible IBS, kind of uncontrollable, debilitating, Um, I couldn't control my bowels anymore, I was like, basically housebound, because I was so nervous about my stomach all the time. So that's when I really was like, okay, I need to fix this. Um, And I don't even care, like what what the consequences are, I just need to get back to being normal and to just eating normally and just living a normal life was like my goal at that point. And so I eventually found this method and this woman who helped me and she really helped me reconnect with my hunger with my satiety. And I essentially relearned how to eat normally. And it was so transformational for me. And it was so freeing that I I made it my work and I, I shared it with friends and family. And then I realized more people are suffering, not only just generally, but especially women working in wellness, whether they're nutritionists or dietitians or wellness influencers or fitness influencers. There's a lot of women in this industry that are secretly struggling with this with this obsession with eating and it's starting to consume them. And I say that food is meant to sustain our lives. It's not meant to consume it. So for the past few years, I've been doing that and and it's just been so rewarding. And it's also great because I do everything online. So I've had the opportunity to travel and live in the different places that I've always wanted to try. So yeah. I think, first of all, your journey is so relatable to probably so many of the people tuning in, myself included. I think that, again, with that yo-yo dieting that we've done and approaching wellness from that place of restriction and, you know, I'm going to be good and I'm going to 
then all of a sudden when you go off the deep end over the weekend and then, but Monday I'm going to be good again and I'm going to stick to a plan. And even coming back from vacation, you know, falling into that trap a little bit where I'm thinking, oh my gosh, like I must have gone so crazy on vacation. And I actually did weigh myself and I don't weigh myself very often anymore, but I weighed exactly the same. It was, it was ridiculous, but you still have that mindset. I think going that if I don't obsess over it, I'm going to lose all control and I'm going to, yeah, just pound the the Cheetos and it's not necessarily the case. Yep. Yep. You mentioned a really great point, which is we think that we have to control and grip. And there's this underlying fear that like, well, if I just do what I want, then I'm going to let myself go. And it's going to be this big, scary train of like gazillion um, chocolate cake sittings, right? Except when we really tap into the present of eating for the sake of abundance and enjoyment, then we eventually fall back into the rhythm of of eating. And the way that I teach clients in terms of getting back into hunger and satiety, it doesn't require any sort of restriction or portion control or getting rid of any sorts of foods. Because when we're eating within the rhythm of the body and with within the boundaries of the body and those being hunger and taste, then we won't have excess storage. I don't like to use the word that. But um, but that's what it is. But because of diet culture, we've been trained that, oh, well, if you eat this, you might gain weight. Or if you eat, you know, past 7pm, you might gain weight or this or that. And so we're, we're adopting beliefs that are just simply not true. Yeah. And I think that so often we are really looking to just undo. Yeah. You know, if I have X number of calories, then I need to burn X number of calories. And it's very almost scientific and very sterile. And then you're just counting and you're not even enjoying the food. God forbid you get something that's not in a package that doesn't have the exact calories on it. And then you're like, well, what do I do now? And, you know, I think it can be so frustrating and it really does take the joy out of food and it really adds a lot of stress to the situation. And at the same time, I think it can be really hard when you've kind of tuned out that voice for a long time and you don't really know when am I hungry and when am I having a craving. So how do we tune into our bodies a little more and kind of understand that hunger and satiety? Yeah. So, and, and that is the work that is, if there's one thing, if you're struggling where, you know, you're like, okay, I need to fix this. The number one thing, it's not finding a new meal plan. It's not just, oh, I'm just going to meditate this away, or I'm just going to, you know, go on a retreat or I'm just going to eat whole foods. That's not what you need. What you need to do is tune into hunger and then tune into satiety. And usually hunger is more difficult for people. So hunger, what I'm going to say now is not going to sound super exciting and sexy, but it's simply the truth. Hunger will come if you wait. And hunger, let's remember that it is not a painful or like horrible feeling that we like, oh my goodness, like it's the worst in the world. I'm sure we can all remember when we were children and we felt hunger, right? It wasn't this like big, huge, fat, scary thing where we're like, oh my God, I'm still recovering from that moment that I was hungry. No, it's a communication from the body saying, okay, it's time for food. I've used up all the food and I'm ready for more. I'm ready to be refueled. And it's not like a negative or a positive thing. It's simply a visceral sensation in the body. And for some of us, it's grumbling or growling. For for some of us, there isn't that. And it's just simply this like emptiness of knowing like, okay, I, I would like some food, right? And essentially, it's a signal from the body that the body is chemically prepared to digest food. And so we need to respect that and we need to wait for it. And there's sometimes when I work with women who are who are dealing with excess storage and who are working with with the goal of of wanting to lower their weight, they'll tell me like, honestly, Kiki, like, I'm never really hungry. Like, trust me, like, I don't know, like, I don't really get hungry, whatever. Oh, then you just have to wait. And I've worked with clients that they have to wait days because they've been eating in excess and there's, you know, excess that the body can use. But trust me, if you wait, 
hunger will come. And once hunger comes, there's no mistaking it. There's no like, oh, I didn't notice, right? Like your body will alert you. And that means that it's time to honor hunger and it's time to get food and and eat and enjoy your meal. And so I would say, you know, if there's, if anyone listening is like, "Mm, I don't know though, because like, I don't really know when I'm hungry. That means you're not eating when you're hungry. That means you're eating when you're not hungry, when you're either balanced or when you're already full. But if you actually wait for actual hunger, you know, and for most of um, most of us, it's like in the morning, it's not always, but after going to sleep and, and not eating for a while, whether it's the morning or the afternoon, you, you do usually feel hunger at least once, even if you're eating sort of out of order. And it's at that kind of that first meal of the day. And, and that's really how we want to be eating all the time. We always want to be waiting for that, that moment when it's like, oh, like, I'm feeling hungry. I would like food. And so for most of us, it it is waiting. And then in terms of taste, and that's when we really get into tapping into our intuition and tapping into, okay, well, what feels good for me right now? What, What sounds tasty for me? And I think as women, we're really taught to think that anything that tastes good is obviously bad (laughs) or you know like if it tastes too good then we better like slow down or portion control it but we really need to follow our taste buds because they're if we tap in and listen into them then they're guiding us to the foods and the ingredients that we need and often I get the objection that it's like no I would just want to eat potato chips or whatever But that's only because you've been probably depriving yourself of potato chips and you've been telling yourself that you can't have them. So it's just a natural scientific response to want them. But as soon as you make them available and maybe have them one, two, three times, you're eventually going to be like, hey, I do not want potato chips anymore. I feel like lentils or whatever it is, right? And so it is really, as you say, it's an unlearning of diet culture and it's a relearning of how to eat because we all innately know how to do it. So I'm not teaching women anything different than what they've already knew before. I'm just helping them recover and relearn what they already knew. I think that makes a lot of sense. And it's a lot more simple sometimes than we, you know, than what we've attached to it. But I think about, you know, at the times where I've been a little bit more tuned into what does my body really want and need. And I found like, like on vacation, I ate whatever I wanted to have on vacation. And some of it was maybe a little bit like things that my body's a little bit sensitive to where kind of naturally I was gravitating toward a salad when I got back or I wanted my greens because I kind of just felt almost a craving for it. But I remember even my mom asking me, hey, would you like one of these chocolate cluster things that we have? And I think at a different point in my life, I would have either said no and then wanted to eat the whole bag or I would have just kind of had this like endless binge when it came to that. And this time around, I, I thought, you know, it sounds really good, but no, I actually, I, I'm actually good right now. Yeah. Maybe later I might. And listening to my body that, hey, I'm actually really not hungry right now. Yeah. And that's possible when you drop all of the rules and restrictions around eating. And when you simply open up to, okay, all foods are available to me at all times. And from that place, you can decide to say no from a place of love and from a place of respect for your body because you're not hungry. But if you were operating with rules or any sort of deprivation, then likely you would have had it. Likely you would, you know what I mean, take all opportunities because it's it's very difficult to not. And that's why a lot of women struggle with this sort of, whether it's binging or whether it's just feeling like they're a little bit out of control. It's not a matter of willpower. It's just simply, okay, you have some, some rules operating. And so your body is simply being like, oh my goodness, like, I can have this now, like get it. It doesn't even matter if I'm hungry or not. Like let's stock up while we can. Yeah. Well, and then that makes me think about emotional eating too. I mean, Mm -hmm. there are so many times where you know you're not hungry at that point. Like you are fully aware that you have already eaten what your body actually needs to sustain itself. But like you either continue past the point of satiety Mm -hmm. and really to a point of like uncomfortable fullness, or you've already, you know, finished what you were going to have for a meal and now you're going nuts on whatever snack food or whatever that comfort food might be. 
And I think that's something that many people struggle with at different times as a way to kind of turn off our emotions almost. And Mm -hmm. I'd love to know, how do you deal with and how do you coach clients to deal with that emotional eating? Is that something that Mm -hmm. we need to cut off altogether? Or what are some things we can do? Yeah, well, I think the the first thing is just awareness and detecting what it is. So if it's the case of emotional eating, we're using food as a buffer to really connect with our true selves, right? Our gut holds our core identity. So if there's something going on in your life, in your thoughts, in your feelings, in your behaviors that do not feel aligned with our true highest self, then we don't want to feel connected to ourselves. And food can act as a really great buffer for that, right? And so it's detecting, okay, what's going on right now? And I sometimes use almost this like kind of stick figure situation with my clients in one of my trainings where it's like, okay, let's say you have, for instance, like a problem that you don't want to face, right? And so you can either eat something and then you have the problem and now you feel bloated or stuffed or heavy, right? Or you can have the problem and feel light and balanced. Which one would you like? (laughs) Either way, you're going to have the problem, right? And it's like, it's again, it's rewiring. Food is not the fix for everything. Food is to care for the physical body when hungry. So number one thing is asking yourself, am I hungry? And if the answer is no, then you have to ask yourself, what would I do if food didn't exist right now? If there was no such thing as food, how would I deal with this problem? Would I cry? Would I go talk to a friend? Would I go somewhere else and run away? Would I deal with it? Like, what would I do? But ultimately, food is not available because I'm not hungry. And so to put food in my body would be adding to another problem, right? And it's not going to fix it. And I think we also, especially with emotional eating, we have to remember that we have other senses available to us. We tend to use taste as the fix for everything, right? We we fix food with, with everything. But we have to remember there's other ways that we can soothe the discomfort in our lives. So whether it be, can we go watch something that is, you know, beautiful for our eyes? Can we touch something soft? Can we smell something delicious. And now is that going to be as intense as eating as intense as taste? No, I won't lie to you. Like smelling a beautiful hand cream is not the same as eating a chocolate cake. It's not as intense, right? But we are addicted to intensity. We are addicted to doing chewing, especially it's very intense. It's very in the moment. It's naturally very grounding, right? We're fueling our body. That's a very intimate connection with ourselves. So it's natural that we want to gravitate towards it, but we just have to detect that, oh, I'm not hungry. So that's not available to me because that isn't going to soothe the discomfort in my life. It might block it for you know a period of time, but it's not really going to do anything. So what can I do that will actually help to soften the discomfort in my life? And sometimes you need to stack a few things on. It needs to be a smell and a sight and you know some music and, and a whole bunch of other things. But I think it's coming back to life is hard, but eating isn't. Eating is simple. And we instead make eating so hard. We're like, oh, no, no, I need to do this. I need to eat this. I need to do that. And, and that fascination with like complicating food is simply because there's stuff going on in your life that you don't want to deal with that are hard. And so you don't want to face that. And so it's like, okay, let's focus on like how I'm going to fix all the food stuff. But here's the thing. If your life was working perfectly and you were so happy and you were doing exactly what you wanted, where you wanted, with who you wanted, do you think that you would ever overeat or emotionally eat? No, you wouldn't. And so when there's food issues, there are life issues. And that's what we really need to redirect our focus towards. Yeah, I know for me, when I've really fallen into, especially the binge eating is something that that I struggled with quite a bit. It is because I'm going through something, whether whether the binging like actually keeps me from doing the thing, like it is a physical thing that you're doing. So it's like a, you know, it is a very tangible distraction, but it's also, yeah, shutting off a little bit that part of the brain a little bit. It's very, very intense. And I didn't think about engaging the other senses specifically, but that's something, you know, I've always been very tactile. I had a teddy bear that had like worn out, um, (laughs) 
leg. And I remember as a little kid, I used to touch like the worn out, you know, material, the worn out cloth. And that was a comforting thing for me when I was very little. And then yesterday, flashing forward, having a little bit of a stressful car situation after a long drive, um, holding a puppy and just petting his fur. And that was something that, I mean, and it was so much better than, (laughs) than chocolate cake. And I love chocolate cake, but yeah, remembering that we, we do have these other senses. There are other ways we can experience the world and other things we can be doing. And I didn't think about this too, but how much eating does kind of, it's very in the moment, but it kind of takes you out of the moment of the other thing that you're doing. And I think that so often, yeah, it is because we're thinking about what's already happened or what's going to happen. Other things you suggest for anyone that's trying to kind of be more present and start to deal with those things in their lives without turning to food? Yeah, well, you mentioned it in um, your your recap there. It's separating food from the movement of a life. That is number one and key. And by this, I mean, eating is a break from life. And so when, for instance, the stop of eating is hard, it's because the start of life is hard. And for a lot of us, we intertwine eating with the movement of life. We're eating on the go. We're, you know what I mean? We're distracted in eating. And so simply disentangling these things and eating in a calm, undistracted, you know, you sit at a table and just eat. That alone will change your life if you are struggling with food. It's a decision to eat. And if you find that difficult, then don't eat until you can do it. Because here's the thing, a lot of us, we eat when we don't need to. And so if you're going to eat and you don't need to because you're not actually hungry and the, and the body doesn't need food then the idea of going over to the kitchen and sitting down and stopping everything that you're doing is like, oh my goodness, painful, right? You're like, oh my God, no, like I don't have time for that. But guess what? If you were really hungry, you would. You would be like, okay, yes, like, thank you. Um, I'll take that seat over there, please, right? And so, so that is number one. It's separating food from the movement of life. And, and if that feels really difficult for you, simply acknowledging to start to just be like, okay, how many times do I eat per day when I'm doing something else, when I'm on Zoom, when I'm, you know, driving the car, when I'm eating, when I'm watching television, right? And then noticing, wow, I do it when I'm doing other things. Okay, so now I'm going to try to eat one meal a day where I'm just eating and I'm totally present to that experience. And you'll probably notice that you'll enjoy the meal so much more. It'll be easier to stop when you're just simply feeling balanced and fueled. And and eventually, you know, with my clients, we get them to a place where that's that's how they eat. It's they, you know, wait for hunger, they eat separate to the movement of their life, and they stop when they're feeling balanced, and then they can start life again. And that's how normal eating is. And if you think about in France, there's a lot of people there are are slender, and they're healthy. And, and if you look at the culture, they stop and they sit to eat. Even just sitting, it, it sends a signal to the body that you are safe. And so even just sitting to help yourself get into that rest and digest state. And then, you know, it's like, okay, I'm done eating now. I'm going to go do something else, right? And that's that's the key to health and slenderness. It is not, their, guess what they're eating? <laughs> Butter croissants. Like, like, you know, North America would be like, yeah. what? That's not even gluten-free, <laughs> right? Um, and it's, that's, it's, for me anyways, that was the real, like, wow, because I got so caught up in all of the food rules and dairy is bad and what if it's not organic and all of these things that there was actual examples of like, yeah, but there's those people that like eat dairy and gluten and like somehow they're still like healthy and slim. Like that doesn't make sense. Like that's so unfair. And it's like, yeah, because they're separating food from the movement of life. They're waiting for hunger and then they're moving on with their life. That's the key. Yeah. Yeah, that's so true. I I am thinking about last night and the the level of multitasking that I've been doing in in my life recently, but last night being on a call and eating dinner over the call and mm-hmm. I when I really think back to it, I definitely, you know, I hadn't eaten that much that day because I had been so on the go, but could I have waited an hour? I think I could have and I think I would have enjoyed the food a lot lot more. 
Yeah, a lot of us are, are scared to be hungry. And it's like, the thing is, if we have excess storage, then waiting an hour or two is we're not going to drop dead, right? And so like a lot of, uh, you know, sometimes my clients are like, oh no, but like, but then I had to go pick up my kids. And like, so I had to eat before because, you know, it's like a half an hour drive. And, you know, by the time I get them home, I'm like, okay, so like, would you die? Like, are, are you going to, are you going to drop dead? Like, no, we need to remember that. And again, this is only relevant if there is excess storage, which a lot of us have some excess storage. And that's like for our safety, right? Of course, if you're underweight, or if you're around that kind of just at a healthy weight, then we do have to make sure that we're honoring hunger as soon as it comes up and really taking the time as soon as hunger arrives to eat something. Because of course, if we're underweight, then when hunger comes up, then our body will start to eat organs or muscle tissue. Of course, we we need to be careful in those situations. But for a lot of us, we have a little bit of excess. So if, you know, we go hungry for an hour or two, nothing bad is going to happen. Yeah, exactly. I mean, unless you're going to be operating something where you need food in your system for whatever the thing is, like so often we don't actually need it right when we think we do. We just think, well, it's a meal time. Yep. That's another big one. It's, it's meal times. It's, oh, but it's, you know, five o'clock or it's 12 o'clock. Like I have to eat something. And the only question that we ever need to be asking ourselves is, am I hungry? And, and it's that that drives the decision to eat. It's not timing. It's not other examples are trans uh, using food as transitions. So a lot of people will you know, it's like, oh, well, I dropped the kids off from school and then now I need to go do this. But in between, I'll have a snack, right? Like we use it to kind of break up our day. And what else could we could we be doing instead if we're not hungry? We could sit. We could just do nothing. We could listen to some music. We could chill out. There's other things. Are you eating as environmental response? It's like, oh, but everyone else is eating now. Or, or oh, but I'm at this event and it's, you know, I have to eat. Like there's food. Um, mm-hmm. And just catch like oh when am I eating when I'm actually not hungry oh yeah well yeah and I think the social pressure with events too and especially as we're kind of getting back into that world post not really post pandemic with people still being sick but you know sort of post the you know the worst of the pandemic and the lockdown and now that we're kind of getting back into it I think you know social anxiety is a big reason that we might go over to the food table or because like the pressure of well other people are having x y and z so I need to have X, Y, and Z. And- yeah. So it's really a matter of owning. You're the only person that decides when to eat and it's owning your decisions and owning your boundaries and remembering that no one else has to live in my stomach except for me. So while they may like that if I eat right now, because it's convenient, like they're not going to have to deal with the, the feeling in my stomach. Only I am. So mm-hmm. only I get to decide, right? And look, I I know, like, I just came back from Greece, where the Mm. culture is very, like, eat, 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 eat. Um, I was with family, I was staying with different people. And my practices were really put to the test, because I would wake up, I'd go downstairs, and it would be breakfast made for me, like, super beautifully. They'd be like, oh, okay, it's breakfast, like, here you go. And I'm like, oh, I'm not hungry. Because I wasn't hungry. When I first woke up, you know, uh, dinner's there or like 10 o'clock, and they go for a gazillion hours on. So it's like, oh, my God, I ate like 10 hours ago, like, I'm good. And, and, you know, I really had to, to practice like, the ownership of my own eating. And oftentimes we think that it's going to be this big thing if we like refuse food or whatever it is, but maybe people will be mildly annoyed for like one second, but they're going to move on. Um, it's not mm-hmm. a big deal. And ultimately your health and your well-being and, and you feeling good is is way more important than like possibly mildly offending someone for like 10 seconds. Yeah, because you're you're so right. They don't have to live in your body. They don't have to live in your stomach and exactly. they're not going to be experiencing, yeah, the physical discomfort of eating too much when you really are not ready for it or your body doesn't need it because that is so, so, so uncomfortable. Exactly. So I'd love to know too, because you do work with women who are looking to lose weight. And I know that that's something that there, there's a lot of struggle between having a more positive body image and improving your relationship with food and body and with weight loss. But 
I do think the two can kind of live in unison when done in the right way. And I'd love to know a little bit more of your thoughts on that and kind of how we can improve our relationships with our body and with food while also pursuing that particular type of goal. Absolutely. And this was, as I mentioned earlier in our conversation, this is really where I struggled to get help because I felt like it was one or the other. It was, okay, I heal my relationship with food. I love my body. And like, you know, I'm just like on this like, yay, yay, you know, happy go lucky mode, but I'm not going to (laughs) be slim and healthy or I stay slim and healthy, but like my mind is at war. Right. And the truth of the matter is that it does not need to be this or that. You can have both. And it's actually best if you do. And that's what we're innately designed. So our bodies want to be healthy and there is no need for excess storage, right? And so really when we're eating within the boundaries of the body of waiting for hunger and then stopping at a, at a point of balance, not at fullness, because fullness doesn't feel great, right? Like if I asked you like, hey, do you want to feel full right now? You wouldn't be like, yeah, that sounds great. Like, like full isn't awesome. <laughs> like we want to feel balanced, right? And we want to feel good. And so within eating with the boundaries of the body, that is your key to quote unquote weight loss. Like I never like to use those words and that sort of thing. But I know for me, it was really helpful to work with a system that was on my side around like, hey, I don't want to have excess weight, right? And they were like, mm-hmm, yeah, obviously, like, no, obviously, you don't, that doesn't feel like your truest, highest self, right? And that's okay. It's it's okay to want to be slender, want to get rid of excess weight that you have. It's not a matter of, you know, I was in programs, where it was like, oh, just love yourself or where you're at. And like, it doesn't matter. And like, love all your curves. And it just never resonated for me. And I'm not saying that that's wrong, or that that's bad. Like, if it resonates for you, great enjoy it right and you don't need to not have excess weight like if you're okay with having excess storage that is totally like admirable and just as like you are worthy of having whichever body you would like but for for me and for my clients I even work with with models that that do uh, want and, and need to keep a very slender frame, but they have, a, you know, a, a history of disordered eating, so they don't want to go through that path. It's okay, let's get you back to the rhythm of your body, because there is no need for your body to have excess storage. And the key is eating within the rhythm of your body. And so for my clients, it's a matter of getting them to be really comfortable with waiting for hunger. And what comes up in that? What what are the struggles as you're waiting for hunger and then and then for some of them it's also okay well what's coming up that's driving you to eat past a point of balance what is it that you're either avoiding or what is it that there's the non-value-based belief there that's telling you that you have to finish your plate and really uncovering those and turning those beliefs that are operating in your gut from non-value-based beliefs to value-based beliefs. And so I just want everyone listening now that is possibly struggling, but deep down also is like, but I also want to be thin. Of course, there are all different body types. And I'm not saying that everyone can be like what we would call skinny, right? Because there are certain shapes that it's just like, depending on your bone structure and just like a lot of things. But can you have no excess weight? Yes, that is 100% possible. And that's not a genetic thing or, oh no, I'm just like meant to be like bigger. I've, I've heard it all before and it's just simply not true. If there's excess weight, it means you're eating in excess, whether that be when you're not hungry or, or whether it be that you're taking yourself beyond the point of balance. And so the answer is not in a diet. It's not in intermittent fasting. It's not in exercise. You can exercise if you want to, if you want to gain muscle, if you want to create a certain shape or sculpt or whatever, like that's great. And also exercise is like awesome for mental health, but it's not the answer to like, oh, the only way I can be thin is through exercise. No, that's incorrect. Yeah, I've had times where I was exercising quite a bit and my body definitely, the composition was a little bit different. My mindset was a little bit different. I operate differently at work, (laughs) but yeah, it, it did not really change anything in terms of the traditional, you know, what we think of as weight loss. And I hate this saying, but that like the weight loss happens in the kitchen. Yeah. Well, I would say weight loss happens in like the living room, anywhere without in the kitchen. (laughs) Yeah, that's true. (laughs) That's true. (laughs) 
Yeah. 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 It has more to do with what's on your plate than, and I do think that there's so much tied to our feelings around food and hunger and satiety that we don't even think of that's been ingrained in us for a long time. I was fortunate not to have this in my household, but I know a lot of people do where you do have to finish what's on your plate because there are starving children in other parts of the world. And yep. My parents always said, you know, we like if you're not hungry, don't eat. Mm-hmm. But that's a thing that that happens in a lot of households, and there there are other things as well that I think we hear when we're very very young. Even as far as like it being a genetic thing, or that you're meant to be bigger. I mean, that's something you know. I've certainly told myself things about you know my metabolism and this and that that well, this is why I can't lose whatever it is. But totally. it really doesn't have to be that way but you hear it your whole life and you kind of take it with you in a lot of ways absolutely programming from from childhood and it might not be the typical ones that you think of I mean I know for myself my dad is Greek and I was raised a lot with with my Greek side of my family and for them it's like eating is a way to show love it's like a way to show respect for who cooked and it was also very much like okay I had to eat not only everything, but quickly and a lot in order to kind of show that it's like I'm healthy and I'm engaged here. <laughs> and um, and so I found myself just always kind of like rushing to eat and rushing to shove as much down as possible. And it, it wasn't until kind of like, okay, let's first of all, you always have to be calm before you eat, you need to get into this calm state and it doesn't have to be this like woo woo, like grab the sage, do a ceremony thing, but it could just be like put both feet on the on the ground and take a deep breath. And when you feel calm, then you can start eating, right? And so yeah, there's loads of different programming through through childhood. And then of course, like through diet culture and through all of these, especially now, like all of these influencers and, and just the practitioners that are on there giving you all of this advice, that it's just, it's really interference to your own connection and you already know exactly how to eat perfectly for you. You do not need to read one more book, one more magazine article, one more Instagram post to tell you what you should or shouldn't be eating. The answers are already inside of you. Yeah. I mean, it's so true. And I remember someone saying that when when you're thinking, yeah, I'd eat a hard boiled egg or whatever it is that you're probably hungry versus like if you're just telling yourself like, oh, I really want some Cheetos or whatever it is. And totally. at the same time, you know, something with some nutritional value that's going to fuel your body doesn't sound appealing. It's probably not hunger because assuming it's a thing that you like, of course, there are some things where I'd have to be really, really, really hungry to, to eat it. But totally, that's a really, really good point. Because a lot of people they do say like, Oh, no, but I'd like this and like, okay, wait for hunger, if you want to go for it. And and you're totally right. Like when we're really hungry, we usually want like a good meal, we want like a different balanced thing of whatever. Occasionally, sometimes we're hungry. And we're like, Oh, like, I really just want like some like popcorn or something super random. And that's fine, you know, eat it. But usually it is true. I remember for me, I was so stuck on all these different wellness like trends. And I remember telling my coach like, okay, well, I always, okay, I'm doing a really great job of like waiting for hunger. But I noticed that when I wait for hunger, I like, I don't always want to just like drink my celery juice. And she's like, mm-hmm. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah. So like, what's wrong with that? Like, how can we fix that? She's like, maybe you don't want to drink your celery juice. Cause like you don't want celery juice and you can like go eat something instead. Do you know what I mean? And, and it's like, sometimes it's like just reframing like, oh, okay. Like I can just eat what it is that I want. And so hunger is always the the answer. It's an amazing thing. <laughs> yeah. So how exactly does this do? So when you have someone who maybe under eats mm-hmm. and, or someone who doesn't have the excess weight, but they're under eating, yeah. they're maybe not listening to those cues. How do you work with them and how might that differ for, um, you know, what, what they might be going through? Yep. Yep. So really great question because I do work with women on both sides of, of the spectrum and it's very, very similar. It's coming back to hunger and to respecting the boundaries of the body. And so for a lot of women that are kind of under eating and they'll say like, I don't, I don't really know, like, I don't really know hunger. And it's like, okay, I'll let them have the benefit of the doubt. I'm like, okay, you don't, you haven't known in the past, like, let's get to know it. And let's really tap in. And for a lot of them, there's this disconnection to themselves, and and they want to check out and they and they don't want to connect. And 
when you're checking out of your body, then it's, it is very difficult to feel that hunger sensation. And so it's a matter of checking in. And sometimes I'll, I'll just simply get them to be like, okay, well, you know, like three times an hour, every 20 minutes, every, you know, however long it is, I just want you to check in and say like, okay, what's the feeling in my stomach right now? And as soon as you start to sense like, oh, okay, I think it's hunger, then I'd like you to eat something. And it doesn't have to be big or whatever it is, but I'd just like you to have a little something that appeals to you and that tastes good to you and see. And for a lot of them, it kind of starts to then open up their hunger. And then there's all these different kind of beliefs that come up around, oh, I shouldn't be eating this. I shouldn't be eating that. But for a lot of them, the fear is because I'll get fat, right? And so we have to rewrite that belief and be, you know, I will not be fat as long as I eat within the boundaries of my body, which means respecting hunger and satiety. And so right now I'm hungry, so I get to eat. And that is honoring and respecting my body. And that isn't making me quote unquote fat, right? And it's really like reprogramming that. And so again, it's the same process. It's as soon as you're hungry, you get to eat. And as soon as you feel balanced, you'll stop. For a lot of women that are overeating and that are underweight, they are still having episodes of binging. And whether they're bulimic and then they're throwing it up or whatever it is, when you're living in deprivation, if it hasn't happened already, it will eventually happen where you're then overeating, at least in in certain episodes of time. And so reminding themselves of that and, and me helping them to, you know, remember those moments, that's often helpful for like, look, don't you want to eat just normally so that you don't eat a gazillion things on Saturday and then have to deal with the consequences for the next few days of feeling bad and all these things. So it's like, okay, so can you can you really sense that you might be hungry right now. And for they're sort of often, interestingly enough, kind of the opposite of people with excess are often like, Oh, my God, I'm so hungry right now. And it's like, are you stressed? Are you disappointed? Are there, are there other emotions going on that you're just saying, like labeling as hungry? Because that's what a lot of us do. And then with the underweight women, it's usually like, oh, like I'm stressed, I'm this, I'm that. And sometimes it's like, are you also hungry, maybe? <laughs> you know, and it's kind of detecting like, oh, and there's also some hunger there that I can deal with, right? And so ultimately it is about finding it. And it's also about really tapping back into eating the foods that they like and that they enjoy. And that's the same for someone that's dealing with excess weight or underweight. It's, it's, you know, okay, what tastes good to you? What, you know, rediscovering old foods with with new eyes, and I guess with new taste buds, right? And being like, what does this, hmm, how does this feel in your mouth? How does this feel as it's going down? How does it feel afterwards? Sometimes we get so so ingrained in these like, oh, I just have to eat this, or I can only eat this, or for breakfast, I have to eat this. And it's really re-exploring that and being like, okay, well, does that taste good for me? Because if it doesn't, then I don't need to eat it. And and I shouldn't because food is an enjoyable break for the body. Yeah. I mean, there is sometimes such a thing as just you're hangry. And (laughs) it's not that everything is so horrible. It's that you're not eating and that you probably should have eaten an hour ago and definitely fallen into both camps. So I think, (laughs) yeah, really learning to tap into that and continue to hone that is so powerful. And it's, I think, really freeing. For women that you work with, I I think so, so many of us struggle with that starve binge cycle. So in general, what is one thing that, that we should just stop doing? So I think the the number one thing is stop following any sort of rule or restriction around how or what you eat. That will be game changer. Just simply noticing, okay, like I think I can't have this or I think I should be having more of this. Drop it, let it go and eat from a place of everything is available to me. Like nothing is off limits. And from there we can make true decisions, especially if we're leading to binges the answer is always because you were depriving yourself earlier. And so whenever anyone says, you know, like, yeah, I'm binging. Do you have any rules around food? No, I know they're lying (laughs) because you wouldn't, you wouldn't stuff like, you know, 10 donuts in your mouth if you knew that you could always have donuts whenever you wanted. And so it's, it's find the rule and let it go. I love that. Do you have any tips too for anyone who, as they've gone through this journey, like, so for me, for example, I've experimented probably way too much with elimination (laughs) diets, but I have some, I have some autoimmune issues. I've kind of played around with like, how are certain foods making me feel? 
But sometimes it can be difficult to know, is this a legitimate restriction for me or is this something that I'm doing to purposely restrict myself? And I'm sure that there are a lot of us that that kind of fall into that. How do we kind of navigate that in terms of like maybe trying to see how, how foods are affecting us without letting it become so restrictive that we can't eat anything and going anywhere to eat is just a major, major stressor. Yep. So I'm going to give the not so politically correct answer. And I'm going to say elimination diets are total bogus and any sort of restriction on any sort of food is not necessary. So if, you know, a health practitioner is telling, oh, you can't have this or you can't have that. It is interference with your innate ability to eat and listen to the own, your own signals in the body. And it does not need to be followed. And so whenever you're on any sort of set plan or that ultimately restricts any sort of food, I would say get off of it because it is not helping and it's only causing more of the problem. If you need to, whatever it is, not eat a certain food, if you tap in, wait for hunger, you will naturally eventually gravitate away from it if it is doing you any harm because you will uh, eventually stop craving it and you'll crave foods that you do need. And there is no practitioner in the world, it doesn't matter how many books they've read or how many courses they've done, that can tap into the exact circumstance that you are going in your that you are going through in your bio individual body. Only you can. So it doesn't matter at, you know how much training they have, they cannot tell you exactly what you need to eat because it would be impossible. Only you have that information. And so I would, I would not say like, oh, here's how to find your balance. No, you need to make all foods completely available to you. And from that place, you can choose which foods feel good. And eventually you'll choose some foods and you're like, oh, you know what? That doesn't feel super good for me. Okay, I'm going to try a little bit less, right? And see how that feels. Oh, you know what? Still not feeling great. I'm going to try even less. I'm not going to eat that for the next couple of days. And then I'm going to see how I feel. And that's called an elimination diet. It's not, you know don't eat gluten, don't eat dairy. Here's a meal plan. That makes sense. Cause I know for me, it gave me a lot of anxiety when I had one practitioner telling me I needed to go low FODMAP because of some findings, but then another practitioner telling me AIP. So can I have tomatoes or can I not have tomatoes? There were very little, you know, so there was a lot of of stuff where the, yeah. I'm thinking like, what, what can I eat? And then I just didn't eat anything. And yeah. it's very, very stressful. And it really tunes out some of that intuition. And finally, I had to give up and eat what sounded good to me at the time. But Beautiful. yeah, it could cause so, so much anxiety. So I guess one other question I do have for you on this is it just in general, as we're going through this process of food freedom and trying to uncover those more positive emotions around our food and around our bodies, just any other tips for, yeah, just improving that body image overall and approaching all of this from a place of love and respect? Yeah. Well, you know what? I would say number one is respect yourself and respect your body. We don't need to start at a place of self-love because sometimes that is too much and it's too difficult. And the idea of loving ourselves is just so hard. But do you respect yourself? Do you respect your body? And it's from that place where you can start to make your decisions. And so try to not necessarily focus on the goal of like, oh, self-love and do all the right things. But it's like, you know what? I want to respect my body. And so I'm going to respect the cues from my body and I'm going to listen. Not because I have this deep sense of love for myself, but simply because I, I you know, I live in a physical body and I want to stick around and I want to be here. And so I have to kind of respect the the vessel that I'm in right now. And I think that sometimes doesn't sound as inspiring or sexy, but <laughs> it's just the truth. And sometimes it's easier to resonate to. Yeah, because I think for so many of us with diet culture and with some of the things that have been ingrained, it can be really hard when someone says, well, love yourself. And you're thinking, well, that's a supermodel that's saying that or whatever influencer (laughs) that's saying that. And they don't have what I have going on, whatever it is. And at the same time, I think having 
you know, coming from a little bit more of a neutral place, but still respect is something we can have for a lot of people where we may not love them. We may not be thrilled with what they're doing or what they're saying, but we can still respect them. And I think it can be, again, true for our own bodies that coming from that place of respect that I may not love myself where I'm at in this moment at that particular time. But do I want to feel well? Do I want to be able to function in my day-to-day life? Absolutely. And I think from there, you can really build to that self-love. So I, I really do love that tip. I would also really love to switch gears and ask you a few rapid fire questions as well for the listeners to get to know you. Let's do it. <laughs> awesome. So my first question for you, and again, we've been getting into quite a few of these, but what would you say is your top wellness tip? I saw this one and I, I'm sorry, but I've got to say, don't follow any wellness tips. It's my top okay. wellness tip. <laughs> Bio-individuality. <laughs> I love that. All right. So where is your favorite travel destination? Well, I will say this beautiful little town, this little Puebla in Mexico, it's called San Miguel de Allende. I actually lived there for like a year, but for specifically for travel, if you want to see somewhere absolutely just like magically beautiful, San Miguel de Allende. Definitely going to add that to the list (laughs) and I get to practice my Spanish. I love that. (laughs) Now, if you were an animal, what animal would you be and why? I would be, I know this sounds so cliche probably, but I was thinking about it and I would be a butterfly just because they're so light. I love the idea of flying around. Everyone loves butterflies, so I'm probably not going to be killed versus like a fly. And, um, And I get to evolve and I get to kind of be different things, right? I get to be like an insect and then almost like a bird situation. So I feel like it would just be super fun, super light and super free. That is so cool. And you're so right. The getting to evolve and get it in. And it does kind of tie into your own journey too, from the wellness world into maybe breaking up with the wellness world, but still helping people at the same time to live their best lives and to create that physical health for themselves and that sense of peace around food. So I think that as the butterfly, you've gotten to kind of change and evolve from a career standpoint, but yeah, they're they're so beautiful and it's so cool to get to to see them flying around and you're you're right nobody is hopefully nobody is going around killing them. It's not <laughs> like every other in, like anything that I see around the house where I'm like oh exactly. Yeah. yeah, they make people happy. <laughs> now if you could master a completely new skill, what would that be? Oh my goodness. It would be learning a new goddamn language. It is so difficult. I was in Mexico for two years and now I can like understand Spanish, but I still cannot speak it. And now I'm headed to Europe. So there's so many different languages. So I would just say the ability to learn a language in like three months or less would be the best skill in the world. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I completely agree. I have some cousins in Europe and one of them speaks, I think, like by the time he was in middle school, he was speaking three or four languages. And I am so jealous because even growing up in South Florida, you learn Spanish. But, you know, so I understand, but I can't really speak it to the extent that, you know, for the amount of schooling that I had in it that I'd like to be able to. It's such a good skill. And yeah, in Europe, they speak so many different languages because it's like to be in the business world almost, you sort of have to. And yeah, something (laughs) I wish I had to. (laughs) My final question for you from our rapid fires, what's next on your bucket list? Well, there's a few different places that I'm headed, but I think I'll say the one that hasn't been completely planned because that feels more bucket listy. (laughs) Um, And that's Vienna. I really would love to live in Vienna. And I just feel like specifically, I love interior design and the way that they style things there, the fashion, but especially the architecture and the interior design is just magical. And so yes, that is that's next on the bucket list. That's amazing. I am so I'm so jealous. I'm not as familiar with the with the architecture or any of that, but I do have some Austrian ancestry and I'd love to I'd love to just explore. So I think you're gonna have such an amazing time and I can't wait to follow your adventures, hopefully on social as well. <laughs> totally. Thank you. Yeah. 
Of course. Now, this has been such a lovely conversation. I've learned so much from chatting with you today, and I've taken away just a lot of really great tips for improving kind of my own connection with my hunger and satiety. So I'm sure the listeners have as well. And for those who do want to connect with you or learn more, where can they find you? So a few different places. I'm always on Instagram. So it's Kiki underscore Athanis. And I have a website, which is also kikiathanis.com. And I have lots of good stuff in there, different webinars and masterclasses that you can watch, or you can book a time to chat with me directly, depending on the week if I have availability open. And so yeah, look forward to connecting with anyone who this message resonates with. Awesome. I'm going to make sure to link that in the show notes. I can't wait to check out some of your webinars too. I think Mm -hmm. that what you're doing is just so helpful for so many of us that have been stuck, I think, for our whole lives in terms of what we can and can't eat and really kind of exploring what does that freedom look like and what are the possibilities. So thank you for the service that you provide and for coming on and sharing with our listeners today. Thank you so much for having me. I had such a lovely time chatting with you. I truly enjoyed chatting with Kiki. She is such a light and shared so many great insights when it comes to our relationships with food. I've been thinking a lot about what she said about emotional eating and about asking ourselves what we would do in the moment if food was not an option. This was a really powerful reframe because it doesn't look at our emotional eating from a place of guilt or shame, but rather from a place of curiosity. I think that by asking ourselves questions like this, we can stop avoiding the problems we're facing and find healthier ways to cope. And I think it brings us into the moment a little bit more. So I have linked Kiki's information in the show notes so you can connect with her and learn more about her offerings. I think she is so incredible. Make sure you tag us both on social media if you enjoyed the episode. And don't forget to subscribe to the show if you haven't already. I want to thank each and every one of you for being a part of this journey and for tuning into the show today. If you have a topic you'd like us to explore in the future or you have a guest that you suggest that we have on, please don't hesitate to reach out to me on Instagram. I am at wellness and wanderlust blog. You can also email me at Valerie, V-A-L-E-R-I-E, at wellnessandwanderlust.net. One of the best ways you can lend your support to the show is to leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or really wherever you're tuning in from. It helps people find the show better. It lets us know what you think. And as a podcaster, it truly makes my day as well. So if you find yourself tuning in regularly, please take that moment, leave that review. I would really love to hear your thoughts. I hope you all have a wonderful day and I'll see you next week.